if you will, turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of Micah as we continue our study through the Word. Can you imagine living in a culture that's turned away from God? Can you imagine a, a culture that is chasing after other things than the most incredible invitation that's ever been given, and that is to come into a, a, a deep abiding relationship with, uh, with God? And, and the frustration in the heart when you see people who are headed on the wrong path, headed in the wrong direction, wasting the time that God has given to them, missing out on the very best part of life, which is a relationship with the true and the living in God. And, and can you imagine wanting to just take them and, and, and shake them and say, wake up, you're, you're going the wrong direction. You're going the wrong way. And if you've ever felt that way in your entire life, then you are tapped into the heart of Micah, a prophet who was living out in the country. He wasn't a, a, a city dweller. He wasn't from a, a, a populous area. But, but God called him to go to these capitals and, and to now speak his word to a generation that had turned away from him had turned away from the word of God. It wasn't that God had been unfaithful in revealing himself to them. It was they who were unfaithful in obedience to what he had clearly revealed to them. And we see that, that Micah's ministry wasn't a, a, a one and done. It wasn't a, a, a two-year, five-year, or ten-year we see that his ministry will extend for some 26 years over three different kings that will reign. And, and it wasn't until the third and final king, King Hezekiah, that the nation hears that the king's heart is turned. And, and suddenly, a nation is moved by a voice crying out on behalf of God, his love and his grace and his invitation to return to him. And through the ministry of Micah, we see an, an incredible response that, that takes place at the, end of his, at the end of his life. Micah is a, is a study in faithfulness and persevering and, and following God, trusting God, doing what he's called you to do, right? Right where he's called you to do it. And even when there are no results, not being discouraged and just continuing to be faithful in, in whatever it is that you've been called to. We see that Micah was from a, a town about 25 miles that was southeast of Jerusalem. He is from Judah. And, and in this book that we have, the, the, these seven chapters that we are going to look at, we see that God gave to Micah three different messages. And, and Micah was faithful to go and to deliver these messages. We we see that he is going to call, as the other major and minor prophets did, to a call of, of judgment, that we see that there is going to come a, a judgment on the northern tribes and then also on the southern tribes. But he also wrote that the nation is going to be ultimately restored again. And the prophet was assured of this because of the other prophets that had come before him, because of the promises that were given to Abraham, that he would have many descendants, that they're going to dwell in the land that God had promised to them, that through Moses, God promised that they would enjoy great blessing in the land that God was bringing them to. It was a rich land. It was a fertile land, a land that flowed with milk and honey a place where he would protect them and he would bless them 
as they occupied the, the land that he had given to them. We see that throughout, it was told that David, his offspring, the throne would continue forever. And so we see that while Micah brings a, a message of judgment, we see also there is the promise of the restoration of the nation as well and the future promises beyond the judgment. We see that that judgment that God is going to bring against these nations, or against the northern tribes and, and the southern, were also... Uh, of tracing back to the law that had been given when they entered into the land, back to Deuteronomy 27 and 28, when, when God promised uh, that if you would obey, that you would be richly blessed and prosper in the land, but, but that if you disobeyed, that if you walked away from God, that he then would bring judgment uh, upon them. And so, we see that here is the, the fulfillment uh, of this as we are going to see it take place. Micah's message, though, was one that was heeded. And we see that repentance ends up following. And, and the disaster that God had declared would befall them was averted for a hundred years, for a century. Hosea and Amos, they were ignored. Jeremiah, you'll remember that he was imprisoned, but here we see that, <laughs> that his preaching changed history. One man making a tremendous difference in his generation by living out and declaring the Word of God. And so an exciting, exciting, relevant book here to us today. And, and so we are going to look at this first message that God gives to Micah to deliver. It says in verse 1, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And, and so notice here that it begins that, you know, that this is the word of the Lord. And, and so, once again, God's word, the revelation of truth in our life and, and how here, this man declaring, delivering, bringing forth God's word. And God wanted Israel to react to his word. God engages us in our intellect through the word. The pagan religions, the fertility religions, the sensory experience, the, the, the physical aspect to that embracing of the sensual is the key component to those religious experiences. But God appeals to your mind. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they can be made white as snow. God's appeal is to you to be drawn into a personal, real, intimate relationship with Him. And God reveals Himself to us through the, through the Word. And so, the word of the Lord, and, and how important the study of the word of God is, the revelation of God himself. And so, Micah lives uh, now in this uh, outskirts, 25 miles away from Jerusalem, and, and so he is kind of on the borderland between Judah and the Philistines. And so, the Philistines are the perennial enemies of of the Israelites, and they were on the coastal plains there, and, and then you have the coastal plains that head up into the, the mountains uh, around Jerusalem, and so Moresheth is, is out in this border territory between the, uh, the two. In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and so the three 
kings uh, here. And all of these were kings of the southern kingdom of, of Judah. And, and this being because we are following the, the reign of Christ, the seed of Christ is going to come through Judah, through the southern kingdom. And so these are the kings that are listed here. Samaria is the capital city of the northern ten tribes. And we see that Jerusalem is the center of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, and so the word of the Lord comes uh, to this prophet and hear all you peoples, listen, O earth and all that is in it, lest the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And, and so kind of the, the scene that we have is this courtroom scene once again. And God is, you know, as a witness, wants everybody to hear about the nation's sin. And so Micah here's implication is that if you listen, if you are the judge in this case, that it will be plain to you, it will be evident that God's judgment against his people is fair, that it is righteous. We serve a righteous God. And as there is going to be a, a punishment that is going to be carried out, the question is this, is this an unfair punishment or is this a justified punishment? Is this one that is deserved or is it not? And so here, God now calling everybody to witness what he is intending to do. And, and that let the Lord God be a witness against you and the Lord from his holy temple. And, and so here we see that, you know, the, the holy temple, the place where God's presence now was localized. Now, we, we know that God isn't limited to a temple, but, but the temple was a place here where he put his finger upon the earth and he said that in Jerusalem, in this city, in my temple, in the Holy of Holies, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat that sits there between the, the wings of the cherubim will my glory reside with, with man. And so here we have this, this Shekinah presence of the glory of God there within the temple. And, and so the Lord from his holy temple, for behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and he will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. And all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? And so here we see that, you know, the Lord is rising up out of the temple, not to bless the nation, but now to come against them. And, and what an absolutely terrifying picture that is. We know that if God be for us, who, what can be against us? But what if God is against us? We're in trouble. <laughs> If God is against us, it doesn't matter who is for us at that, at that point in time. And, and here is the picture of God now standing uh, up to administer justice. And so Jerusalem and Samaria, the, the, the sins of the residents of Samaria and the sins of the residents of Jerusalem, they're, they're kind of typifying the sins of the nation. The capital cities, they set the pace for the rest of Israel and, and Judah. And, and so here he talks about the, the transgressions of, uh, of Jacob there in Samaria. And the high places of Judah, high places. Mountains or the hills where people uh, worship, pagan people in the land of Israel often would worship there in the highest of places, perhaps kind of to 
to embody the, the closeness of, uh, of getting to God by getting up into an elevated area. And so here the people were sinning. They were now coming out and, and worshiping in these nearby pagan high places. They had abandoned the, the worship of, of the true and the living God and had fallen into compromise and into pagan worship. And this taking place even in Jerusalem itself, not, not just outside of Jerusalem. The very place where God put his finger and said, this is where I will manifest myself was the very place now where the people were given over into idolatry. And therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field. In places for planting a vineyard, I will pour down her stones into the valley. And I will uncover her foundations. And all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. And, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. And all her idols I will lay destitute. For she gathered it up from the pay of a harlot. And they shall return to the pay of a harlot. And so here we see that God is going to bring judgment upon Samaria and that it is going to be a devastating judgment. It is going to be a complete destruction. I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field. And so complete destruction. Rather than a populated, industrious city that Samaria was at the time of its destruction. Assyria comes in in 722 and lays siege to the capital city. And it's a three-year siege, a three-year strangulation of the capital city. And, and by the end, the northern kingdom, they were taken away, captured, brought into captivity. And, and what the Assyrians did when they captured a people is they took them out of their land and then they scattered them and repopulated them into other areas so that now they couldn't work together to overthrow them. And so assimilated. And then they would take other people from their conquered lands and then bring them into Samaria. So Samaria now is repopulated with, uh, with all of these uh, other races that are placed uh, there in Samaria. Later, the Samaritans and the Jews, they had nothing to do with one another in Jesus' day. And, and that was because of the repopulation of the Samaritans uh, there. So, carved images, idolatrous uh, worship, this was the, the reason that this judgment is going to, is going to end up coming upon them. And and what's interesting here is, is that they ended up going after other gods. And what was the judgment that was upon them? They were then displaced out of the land that God had given to his people. They were removed to other lands that went after these other gods. And it was almost as if, you know, God said, you want to worship other gods? You want to worship pagan gods? Then I will put you in pagan lands that worship those pagan gods. And I will take you out of the land of, of promise. A fitting judgment for a people who did not want to honor God and, and worship him in the land that he had given to them. And and so the money that they had given over into this idolatry, all of that would be swept away by the Assyrians. And, and here is this, this prophet. And God is showing him the destruction of Samaria. And, and we see that the response of the, of the prophet is one of empathy and compassion. 
is one of great sorrow. As the consequences of sin unfold, it is always painful to watch those consequences that are self-inflicted, but nonetheless are devastating in a person's life. We see that the loss of home, the loss of family, the loss of freedom, the loss of, uh, of career, of everything that you are building for. You see, sin wants to take away every single thing that you've got in your life that is meaningful and that is significant. It desires to strip you down, imprison you, isolate you, punish you, rob you, and then ultimately kill you. That, that is the downward spiral of sin. It's true of an individual person. It's true of a nation as well. And so here is this prophet from the uh, outskirts of Jerusalem. And when he sees what the consequences now are going to, uh, to be, he weeps. He himself is, is broken for his own people, for his nation, for, for the sin. He can't justify it. God, what God is speaking is absolutely true. His judgment is righteous. It's deserved. It's long overdue, in fact. But yet, therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches for her wounds are incurable. For it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. And so the punishment of the northern kingdom Micah now is in great sorrow, great agitation, weeping and wailing and going barefoot were all signs of extreme mourning. And that this, this judgment would come all the way, it says, for, for it has even come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people all the way to Jerusalem. He's Referring now to the Assyrians who were the ones that took the northern tribes into captivity and, and then they came for Jerusalem. And, and they came through and they took all of the cities and the towns around and destroyed them and they came to Jerusalem itself. And it was there that Sennacherib brought his uh, army surrounded in Jerusalem. 701 in B.C. And it was there that God defended Jerusalem. And in a single night, defeated the Assyrian soldiers by an angel and, and over 180,000 soldiers now. For it has come to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. And tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all in Beth Aphra. Roll yourself in the dust. Pass by in naked shame, you inhabitants of Shaphir, the inhabitants of Zanan does not go out. Beth Ezel mourns. Its place to stand is taken away from you. And, and so we see here that, that now Micah is going to, to use word plays here as he is talking about these various different locations. He begins first, though, with tell it not in Gath. And remember that Gath is one of the Philistine cities. And, and, and you'll remember in 2 Samuel where David now makes the same statement of tell it not to, to Gath. And that was when Saul had died. And and David doesn't want his enemies to know that Saul is, is dead. In Micah's case, he, he didn't want the inhabitants of Gath to hear about the Assyrian attack on Judah. Beth Aphra. Weep not at all in Beth Aphra. 
Here we see that Micah told the people there, Beth Aphra means the house of dust, and so here he tells them to roll yourself in the dust and a play on words. And Shaphir, uh, once again, is the opposite. It means beautiful or pleasant, and, uh, and so the exact opposite of being all dressed up and, and being beautiful is to be naked. And so we see the, the inversion. Zainan uh, is a word in the Hebrew that sounds like going out. And so the siege is going to come. So they're not going to go out at all. And, and Bethazel uh, is the town. It means the nearby city. But but when judgment comes against them, they're, they're not going to be helpful to anybody else that is nearby. For the inhabitant of Meroth pined for good, but disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. O oh, inhabitant of Lachish, harness the chariot to the swift and steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgression of Israel were found in you. And so Meroth means bitterness. And so once again, pining for good. Lachish was a well-fortified city and, and it was known for its horses and for its chariots. And, and that would all be in, in vain when the Assyrians came. It sits up on top of a tell, on top of a hill. It was well fortified. And, and so the Assyrians came and, and they ended up sieging the city of Lachish. And, and we see that this was the Assyrian king Sennacherib that does this. And after the fall of Lachish, he then brings the troops to Jerusalem. It's, interesting that in the in the walls of Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh there are reliefs that show the the siege upon Lachish and and of all of the 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 trophies being taken from Lachish and bringing back and that relief that was in Nineveh at the at the Sennacherib's palace is in the British Museum in, in London. And you can see the actual relief that, uh, that was taken and, and brought there from Sennacherib's palace. Therefore you shall give presents to Morasheth, Goth, the houses of Akzeb shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. I will yet bring an heir to you. O inhabitant of Merashah, the glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourself bald. Cut off your hair. Because of your precious children, enlarge your baldness like an eagle, for they shall go from you into captivity. And so here again, you know, we, we see that these are just names to us, but if, if you were to, to replace these with cities, and to say, you know, oh, weep Los Angeles and New York and Washington and Cincinnati and, and suddenly now here are these judgments that are being pronounced on these various different locations. But those are locations where they have relatives. Those are locations where they have friends. Those are locations that they've been to. This is their own country. And so when, when we see these judgments that are being pronounced, it is so personal now it's not the nation it is these individual locations and with each of these there is that that word play with regards to the to the judgment the instrument of judgment is going to be the the assyrians but but now the naming of them in in advance make yourself bald and cut off your hair we see here that even the children are going to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and, and this would cause the people to mourn. 
one of the signs of mourning was to shave your head, make yourself bald like, like mourners. Enlarge it. Like the baldness of an, an eagle. And so the, the future judgment that now God was telling them was coming. We see that the sins that are mentioned in these verses now, all of them are in opposition. They violate the Mosaic Covenant. And so the, the destruction is coming upon them. And, and that justification now comes from the breaking of, uh, of the law. He speaks now about the hearts of, of those that have turned away from God has been so kind, so loving, so merciful to the nation. They were slaves. He brought them out of Egypt. He settled them into the land. He blessed them and prospered them. And they truly had the land that was flowing with milk and honey. And, and then they just drifted. And then they just rebelled. And then they just turned. They turned away. They turned away after whatever their hearts desired now, in their safety, in their security, their, their need for their protector, God, as, as they now had this time of peace and prosperity, declined. Interesting the way calamity and tragedies and difficulties and hardships will, will cause us to, to run to the Lord. I'll never forget 9-11 and the way that this nation, when those twin towers fell, when every single person in our country felt the impact of that attack upon our own soil, how the church is filled to overflowing for months and months and months, and then not so much. And then not so much. And then not so much. And then back to business as, as usual. And so God oftentimes will use calamity to, to get our attention because in our prosperity so oftentimes we will drift into the fulfillment of our flesh. See, prosperity gives you leisure time and it gives you opportunity to be able to, to sin. When you're in affliction and, and adversity, there, there, there is a different set of temptations than, than when you are comfortable and prosperous and you have time on your hands. And so the nation had drifted away. And, and so at night when they would lay down in bed, rather than counting the stars and counting their blessings and, and thanking God, their flesh that was in control of them wanted more wanted more and and when you're not content in the things of god then then you're always going to be discontent when you are seeking to fill your life with with more and so god's people rather than being so thankful and so blessed and delighting in the lord were dissatisfied with the blessings that they had because they wanted more So much so that that's what they dreamed about. That, that, that's what they lay in bed thinking about. How can I get more? How can I get more? And, and, and their desire, their greed, their, their flesh caused them now to stray from righteousness. Their, their desire for more wasn't just how can I earn more honestly and successfully through solid investing. It's how can I get more through any means possible? They lay in bed at night. It says in verse 1, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. 
they plan it tomorrow. This is, this is who we're going to go take advantage of. This is who we're going to shake down. This is who we are going to leverage. This is the dishonest scales that we're going to use to be able to increase the, the amount of money that we have in, in our lives so that we can have more of the things that, that, that we want. And this is what was consuming them with a complete disregard for God and the blessings that that he had given to them. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by what? By violence. Also houses and seize them. And so they oppress a man and his house, a, a man and his inheritance and and it says here that, you know, that they covet, they take them by violence. They say that they practice the evil that they've thought of at night because it's in the power of their hands. Sometimes there's some sins that, that we never commit because we never had the opportunity to. But the real test comes when, when you have the availability to. When you have that opportunity, when, when the power is in your hand. And, and those are the times that test our soul. To stay faithful to the Lord. And so they, they think about it in advance, and, and then they go and, and act upon it. I mean, all sin is bad. But premeditated sin, that's transgression. When, when you make an appointment with evil, that, that's completely different than oops and falling into it when you say tomorrow at 3 o'clock. <laughs> that's transgression. That's a premeditated sin. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily. For this is an evil time. And in that day one shall take up a proverb against you and lament with a bitter lamentation, saying, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people, how he has removed it from me. To a turncoat he has divided our field. And so here the Israelites were not to enslave one another. And the reason being is that they had been slaves in Egypt and God brought them out and they now were not to take and to make one another into slaves. Micah announces that this is an evil time. God had given to each tribe and to each family a share of the land. And that land was to stay within the family as the inheritance that God had given to that tribe. But here we see that, that they were seeking to take it from one another to enlarge their own inheritances. We see here that it was the land that they wanted more of was the very thing that God now was going to remove from them. Therefore, you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. In other words, no longer was there going to be a, a, a judge that you could bring the cases too, because the whole system now is going to be destroyed. God continued to send prophets, continued to warn the people, but at the same time, there were false prophets that kept on rising up. And the false prophets spoke only what the people wanted to hear, and, and those messengers sent the message that God was for the nation, that he would never destroy it, that, 
that he is the protector and the defender of them. But God was for the nation of Israel, but he said that he would bring consequences on them if they disobeyed. And so we see the righteousness of God in fulfilling what he had said that he would do. And so these false prophets do not prattle you say to those who prophesy and, and so they shall not prophesy to you and they shall not return insult for insult you who are named the house of jacob is the spirit of the lord restricted are these his doings do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly and and so here we see you know do not prattle when God's prophets came to the people, they didn't receive it. They disregarded the, the warnings. They, they, they said, don't bother us with your nonsense. And so, because they would not receive it, God stopped sending prophets. So they shall not prophesy to you. God's people, though, did respond to Micah's warning before God stopped sending him. But it took an extended period of time. Micah begins his ministry under the reign of King Jotham, but no one listened. And King Jotham was replaced by King Ahaz, and, and Micah continued to prophesy, and no one listened. And then during the reign of King Hezekiah, good King Hezekiah, and the leaders and the people repented but Micah preaches anywhere between 16 and 25 years before there was any response. And he just faithfully continues. He just faithfully continues. And I think of what an example that is to each and every one of us to just faithfully continue in what God has called you to do. To faithfully continue being the best husband. To faithfully continue being the best wife. To faithfully continue to be the best son or daughter. To continue to be the, the faithful man of God. The faithful woman of God. To faithfully serve wherever God has called you to serve. And to just continue in your steadfastness, in your faithfulness to the Lord. Micah saw no results, and, and yet he was not discouraged. He continued to do what God had called him to do. And ultimately, after all of these years of, of sowing, 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 there was a harvest. There was a harvest. We see that he says, are, are these his doings? They, the false prophets, they questioned whether you know, God would ever be angry with his people or, or whether God would ever bring this type of judgment or this type of destruction. In other words, they're saying, this isn't the nature of God. This is a false prophet. And the false prophets always accused <laughs> the true prophets of being the false prophets. <laughs> and nothing's changed. We have false prophets that say the most ridiculous things, misrepresent God, say things that are the, the, the exact opposite of what the Word of God says today. We have such compromised churches, such compromised pastors, such compromised teachings, if indeed it's even teaching, instead of indoctrination, what is happening within churches today. And they are the ones that are instructing people about God and doing it falsely, exactly like they did in the days of, of Micah, in the days of the prophets with God's people. Lately, verse 8, my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by, like men 
returned from war. The women of my people you cast out from their pleasant houses, from their children. You have taken away my glory forever. He's talking about these false prophets that are misrepresenting God. And as they're misdirecting the people, the people are walking into destruction and into judgment because they are being wrongly taught. He says, you are the ones, these false prophets. He says, my people have risen up as an enemy. We see it was the false prophets that that are treating God's people as, as if they were the, the prophet's uh, enemy. The false messengers, they robbed the people it, it, by, by misdirecting them. They're preventing them from stepping into the blessings of God. And so the picture that he's saying is because you are lying to the people and they're listening to you, they're turning away from God and from the blessings of God. So you're robbing the people of the blessings of God by misleading them. The women of my people you, you cast out by not telling the people to repent and to return to the Lord because the false prophets were saying peace and prosperity and, and God is with us and you will have more wine and you will have more success. And, and, and they preach this prosperity doctrine instead of a doctrine of humility and repentance of, of recognizing that he's a holy God and that he calls us into holiness as his people. He says, the women of my people, God's people, you, you're casting them out. They're going to lose everything. They're going to lose their pleasant houses. They're going to be taken away from their children. And these false prophets, you are taking my glory away. Arise and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is defiled, it shall destroy. Yes, with utter destruction. If a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler of this people. And so sarcastically, Micah now here tells the people to arise and depart. Go into exile. If that's what you want, then just rise up and go. Why are you waiting for the judgment of God? If you want nothing to do with God, then just depart from him. And don't pretend that, that you are God's people while you are mocking him by worshiping the false pagan gods around him. It's defiled. The, 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 the land is becoming irretrievably defiled. The sin that was just spreading. A little bit of leaven, what? And now the leaven is thick. The land is polluted. The hearts of the people are so turned away from God. The people's values were were so desensitized that they would rather respond to a false prophet who would predict not judgment, but prosperity. And so the, the outlook is grim for Judah. Micah voiced, though, a ray of hope. And it, and it wasn't a, a ray of hope that was based upon the quality of the people, but it was a, a ray of hope that was based upon the promise of God. For we can always count on the promises of God. Amen? We can always trust upon the promises of God. And so Micah now looks at the promises of God. And even though God's people were disobedient, God is going to be faithful to his promises. Amen? I love the faithfulness of God. I'm so thankful for the faithfulness of of God, that he is faithful even when we're not faithful. He is always faithful. And I will surely assemble all of you, 
O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture, and they shall make a loud noise because of so many people. And the one who breaks open will come up before them and they will break out and pass through the gate and go out of it. And their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. And so Micah jumps uh, forwards to the restoration of the nation of, uh, of Israel when God is going to bring back together the remnant uh, of Israel to the land. And it will be a, a time of where a, a shepherd will be leading the flock. And so great is going to be the regathering of the sheep that, that the place will throng with people and and that long-awaited time is going to come about in the nation of Israel in the millennium. Right now, we have the gathering together once again. The dry bones prophecy of, uh, of God bringing his nation back together again. But, but the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to lead the nation where he will establish his kingdom upon the throne of David and he will rule in righteousness for a thousand years. And, and how absolutely glorious the Lord will be their king. He's not abandoned the nation of Israel. God is going to lead the nation of Israel. Jesus Christ will lead the nation of Israel and and into the millennium, and passing through before them as their head. And one day they will mourn over him whom they pierced as one mourns over an only begotten son. And they will recognize that he is in fact the Messiah. And they will turn and receive Jesus Christ uh, uh, as their king and, uh, and, as their, and as their Lord. And that is even still yet. The promise of the faithfulness of God to the nation of Israel. Through everything that they have gone through in their history, God's faithfulness is true and he will accomplish every single one of his promises. Every single one of his promises ends with yes and amen. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for we are comforted by the things that we see even going on. The turbulence in the nation of Israel is nothing new. But God, your promises, they are faithful. And you have a future and a hope for the nation of, uh, of Israel. And, and, and Lord, in each and every one of us, there, there is that call to faithfulness, that call to trusting you, that call to press into the things that you have for us, to let go of the sin that so easily besets us and ensnares us, and to lift our heads up. And Lord, to see your smiling face upon us, God. We seek your blessings, God. Our hands are open wide. Give us pure hearts, Lord. Give us clean hands, Lord. And may we be about our Father's business. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.